Welcome to Table Talk, the podcast that takes an in-depth look at the dynamic and exciting restaurant world. We sit down with industry leaders as they share best practices, highlight smart solutions, and discuss strategies for growth, ultimately helping food service operators learn how to affect positive change and grow their business. Now, here is your host, editor and publisher of Food Service and Hospitality Magazine, Rosanna Kyra. Today, it's my pleasure to be speaking to Susan Senecal, president of AW Restaurants. Uh, Susan is president and CEO of AW Food Service of Canada, Inc., which has more than a thousand restaurants from Vancouver to Newfoundland and is the second largest hamburger restaurant chain in Canada and one of Canada's leading franchisers. Susan joined the company as an area manager in 1992 and she's held the positions of Regional Director of Operations, General Manager Quebec, Vice President of Operations, Chief Marketing Officer, and, and Chief Operating Officer. And in February 2018, Susan became President and CEO, becoming only the fifth CEO in the company's 62-year history and the first ever fully bilingual CEO and woman in the role. So that's wonderful achievements. So uh, welcome, Susan, to uh, Table Talk. And, and thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to be here today. Thank you. Good to see you, Rosanna. Nice to see you, too. It's been a long time with this pandemic. We don't get to see each other as often anymore. True enough. So, Susan, we've, um, we've been dealing, obviously, with a very challenging year for the food service industry in Canada. And I thought it would be good to start off with maybe a brief glimpse into how the, uh, the COVID uh, virus has really impacted um, not just A&W, but you personally in your role as president and CEO and, and what it's meant to the company as well. So, um, so let's start there. Sure. Um, well, it's certainly, I mean, it's been a very sobering year. It's been a year of loss for so many, you know, starting with the health impacts of, um, of COVID. And and we talked a little bit about haven't seen each other, but, you know, that's been extremely hard for people, particularly people who have um, fallen ill or who are in isolated um, circumstances that normally would have received, you know, visitors and get togethers and so on. So I'd say that first from a societal and kind of a very personal view, it's been a very, very challenging year on that front. And that's, I think, impacted kind of the the feeling um, that so many Canadians have and the challenges that so many, and you know, this is a global, a global issue as well. So um, it's not one that ends at our borders by any, any means. Um, so, so I'll kind of start there. I think it's, it's certainly been a, um, a very devastating year for many in the restaurant industry. Uh, you know, our, our business is all about people getting together and people being outside their homes and the, the nourishment that they can get as they um, go about their daily business. And of course, so much of that mobility has been impacted by um, by either restrictions or, you know, concerns by um, by consumers and those types of things. So it certainly has uh, been a very big blow for people who, especially those whose livelihoods depends on, on, on restaurants. And, you know, there are so many Canadians uh, in the restaurant industry and so many of those jobs and um, livelihoods have been have been lost at least temporarily to the pandemic. So I'd say that it's been a, a, a very tough year. Um, from a business perspective, I think, you know, when I look at it, uh, it's clear that, you know, we, we, I think we sometimes forget about how, how much infrastructure is needed to run society. And, um, you know, we sort of saw firsthand the number of essential workers that were out and about as the early part of the pandemic. And suddenly, you know, drive throughs you saw, you started to see and probably notice, I would say, I'm sure they were always there, but um, people with their scrubs and, you know, just realizing how many people were hard at work mm -hmm. uh, trying to mitigate the impacts of, um, of the pandemic and care for the people whose, uh, whose lives were touched. For sure, it's been challenging on so many fronts, and and obviously the restaurant industry has been one of the hardest hit. So, so I can only imagine, um, you know, the impact to you and, and your company. Um, what were some of the immediate impacts to A and W when you look at, um, you know, your company from a franchise perspective as well? Because you have obviously people who are franchisees, and their world was rocked like everybody else's. Um, and obviously the challenges really were compounded with, you know, fewer sales in the restaurants and um, these franchise owners have, you know, normally would have to pay fees. How did that impact um, on that level? 
Well, it was very, um, very different. So there was not one sort of broad brush that I could say, this is how A&W as a whole was impacted because um, so much depended on the locations of the restaurants, of their specific circumstances. So uh, for example, shopping centers in some cases, certainly in the early days for about 12 weeks, I think we had complete closure of shopping centers um, across the country. And so those were restaurants that were doing zero sales. And those were restaurants where um, there, there was no work for the staff members that um, had been on those teams. So that's one circumstance. You know, there's certainly others uh, where the um, activity, whether it was universities, whether it was airports, you know, mm -hmm. declined to such a huge degree. And um, so th those could have been, you know, down 80 or 90% in terms of, um, of their sales level. In other cases, I think, um, because you know, consumers were still in need of those quick meals, particularly those who needed to be out for their work. Mm -hmm. um, our restaurants with drive-through, we saw uh, many, many, many people choosing drive-through uh, far more than normal um, in terms of where they were getting their food. We saw um, a, a, a spike in terms of the use of things like takeout, the mobile mm -hmm. app, um, delivery. You know, we saw lots of people found different ways to um you know, to, to survive and live and uh, get their needs met. So that was um, something that we observed in some of our restaurants as well. So it really depended on where the restaurant was located. Mm -hmm. um, you know, staffing was uh, was a challenge as well. We, we implemented, um, you know, very strict safety protocols in our restaurants to protect uh, the staff in the restaurants, the teams, as well as, of course, our guests. And, um, you know, many staff members might have had exposure to COVID. They had to take time for self-isolation, uh, all of those kinds of things. Fortunately, you know, I think our restaurants, um, the, the protocols were very effective. But uh, at the same time, it, it did create pressures. You know, people had their children weren't in school. And so there was childcare issues. There were travel issues. In a lot of cases early on, um, public transit was severely impacted. So there was just a a huge um, disruption in sort of all elements of what we sort of take for granted, I think, uh, day to day and in how we live our lives. Of course. And when you look at your company, I mentioned in, in the bio, you have a thousand units across the country. Um, when you look at those units, how many of them, did any of them have to actually shut down entirely for any duration or were they all open at varying degrees of, you know, times through the day? No, we had many um, restaurants that, that had to close uh, at the early in the pandemic. We had over 200 restaurants closed. Uh, then it's very since then it's varied. So we've never um, been able to reopen all of our restaurants at the same time so far because of different impacts and different requirements in different jurisdictions. Uh, and so that number has kind of gone up and down. I'd say that the type of locations where we're uh, located in another facility, whether that's a shopping center, an airport, a train station, um, you know, of course, it, that's all driven by the choices that and the choices and, and the requirements uh, that those uh, that, that, that those facilities have to um, implement. So, you know, from time to time, there's, you know, more restrictions or fewer restrictions. And of course, then there's also just consumer confidence, right? There's just the um, consumers decide whether things are open and whether they're busy or not, because they, they decide with their uh, with their feet and their wheels and their wallets. And so in, in a lot of cases, um, when there's a high degree of uh, what people see as risk, you know, they're going to just take, uh, take it easy and um, be at home a lot more than they certainly were before. Right. And um, I know you mentioned shopping centers. How many of your units are actually located in malls or shopping centers? We have about the, that 200 that closed, the vast majority of those were shopping centers. Okay. That, that makes sense. Um, were you able to to pivot to any, you know, pivots become like the word of the year, I think, but were you able to pivot to any other revenue streams during that time? I mean, when you're closing almost 200, uh, 200 units, obviously there's quite a large impact on the company. Did you have to change direction um, and flow somewhat and, and go into other areas? Or did you just focus on takeout and delivery as the core business for those uh, for those months? I'd say that, you know, um, one of the huge advantages and something I'm really grateful for is, you know, our franchise community is very active, very creative, and really helped us understand what was happening in the local markets, particularly at a time when we couldn't travel, we couldn't see firsthand. So um, we, we really upped the level of communication. There was a time when we were talking together every single day, seven days a week, um, to kind of understand what was happening, what were people needing, what were people wanting. And so through that sort of, I'd say, on the ground um, insight, uh, 
lots of different things were, were, were tried. You know, we had to just be flexible and we just really let ourselves be guided by uh, what our guests were, were wanting and needing, whether that mm -hmm. was contact free, whether that was how they were paying for things, whether that was where they were picking food up, um, curbside, you know, became something that we had never really explored or done in the past, but we could see the clear demand for it. So we really um, responded to what we were seeing in the marketplace and what our guests were were wanting. And when things um, pleased them, we tried to do more of them. And when things uh, were causing issues, we tried to resolve those. So you mentioned curbside. Has that now become a, a huge focus for your operation? And I assume will that stay that way moving forward? My thought is that uh, anything that was already growing um, before the pandemic and that sort of got a lot of more people familiar with it during the pandemic will probably continue at a higher level uh, post-pandemic because people have experienced things. They found a little way for that um, new way to get uh, a fit into their life. And so I expect that some of these um, new trends or the trends that particularly that were being accelerated will continue post-pandemic. Uh, post uh, in particular, I think, um, you know, curbside, which really wasn't a thing, whether that was retail or in mm -hmm. restaurants, that that was not a big uh, way for people to think about stuff. It, I think it's caused us to kind of uh, open our eyes to think about how might we do um, a better job of that, you know, whether that's with packaging, whether that's with the way that we run our, our operating system, whether that's with service. Um, so that's been that, that's been interesting. I think we're really focused on, uh, you know, the mobile app has become a very, very popular way for people to uh, do a couple of things. Number one is it you know avoids any kind of payment um, contact at the restaurant. Uh, it also saves people time, and you know, the pandemic has certainly not made anyone's life easier. So, time is at a premium in a lot of cases, and so that just allows people to to manage their lives a little bit better. Um, you know, our app people can order and then we don't start preparing it till they get close to the restaurant. Right. And so that means that there's a lot of flexibility if they have to stop off somewhere to get something, if they, um, so that's been a, a really popular feature. And I think we'll see that continue to grow as people get used to it. And, you know, it's always trying something the first time and then you have it and then you know how to use it and, and then you continue to use it. So I see that as being an area of growth uh, in the marketplace, but also for AW. So your company has been always very proactive on the technology front and you've done a great job in the past with your apps and your technology. Do you feel as many other operators do that uh, this pandemic has accelerated the use of technology in your units and, and do you see that trend continuing um, down the road? Well, I think technology is sort of an integral part of people's lives and, and the world keeps discovering new ways to leverage technology. And just an example is what we're doing right now. You know, we probably would have um, been thinking about flying somewhere and meeting somewhere and having this interview uh, in person if um, right. circumstances had been different. And I think some of that will resume. But in a lot of ways, people have become very good at uh, using technology, whether that's through, you know, I, I mentioned that we were having daily calls with our operators. That would have been um, impossible without the use of uh, great technology and that technology keeps improving. So I can see a role for technology at all levels, whether that's, you know, through relationships, whether that's, um, you know, being able to answer people's questions, facilitating communication. I think it's also understanding our business and seeing the change. Um, we sort of went through a radical change with the pandemic, but um, business and the marketplace is changing all the time. And I think having better tools to understand that change will help us and our operators uh, run better businesses. So early on in the pandemic, um, the government stepped in and in some cases, maybe quicker than a lot of people would have imagined them to do so. Um, and they provided obviously some financial assistance, some subsidies, wage subsidies, which have now been extended. Um, how do you feel um, the government has done on that role in terms of helping the industry cope with this pandemic? Do you think they've done a great job? Do you think it's been mediocre at best? What's, what's your opinion on that? Well, I'd say you mentioned the speed, and I think that was very critical in the early days. You know, when the the, the fog was kind of right in our in our um, in front of our eyes, and we couldn't see very far forward. I think that quick action um, restored some optimism and some confidence, and then that allowed other people's creativity and energy to start to you know kind of wade through the changes that were happening and how um, individual businesses and people might manage them. So I'd say it was very critical support in the early days. Like anything that's um, 
you know, I mentioned the differences in A&W restaurants, you know, everywhere from somebody down 90% to somebody whose sales were basically the same as before, you know, there's that wide, wide range. Well, imagine now all of the different kinds of businesses, and you think about a government program that has to match and meet all of those needs. Um, there are certainly areas where we think, okay, this could have been better, this could have been better. Um, but I think our industry associations have done a good job of representing and making sure that people understand. I think the restaurant business is a um, an industry that sometimes flies under the radar. You know, people understand what happens with big construction projects and so on because they're, they're um, more visible. I don't think that uh, before this, it was quite as obvious to so many Canadians how much of the economy depends on uh, jobs and um, the convenience that, that food service provides and how essential it is. And so we had lots of people saying thank you when we reopened our restaurants and right. saying, thank goodness you're there. Um, I know, you know, grocery stores and others just really received that recognition that um, maybe was kind of invisible before. So I think those programs helped. I think there's some as we sort of lock in here to a little mm -hmm. bit longer term and some of the impacts and how that those have played out, uh, particularly when they relate to, um, you know, legislated or regulation changes, I think the uh, the needs of the businesses and the needs of, of all of the partners within that business need to be need to be considered uh, in order to make sure that those businesses are able to exit uh, in a positive way from all of this turmoil. And, um, I, you know, I think that that work is underway. Uh, it's, it's certainly not easy on any of anybody's side, but I think if we keep listening to one another and sort of embracing the idea that uh, this is a, a kind of situation that has impacted everyone differently, and therefore that maximum flexibility in these programs will be really important. Yeah, that's a very good point in that, you know, there's so many different types of businesses that need assistance and it's hard to provide a, you know, one size fits all kind of approach. But looking at what we have now, um, you know, that's been provided by the government and also looking at the sheer length of time that this pandemic has existed, it's been a lot longer than we all anticipated. And, you know, from everything we hear, it still will be quite, you know, uh, quite a while before we get over this. What other things would you like to see the government do that hasn't been done? Like from your perspective as a chain operator with a thousand units across the country, what would you like to see uh, more from the government? I think um, for me, I would start with um, consumers. I think that, uh, you know, it's individual support that will really, is, is really the most uh, pressing issue. So when you think about people whose livelihoods, whose lives have been disrupted, whether that's because they've had to take time off work for childcare or for illness or for other things. And I think if we can um, ensure, you know, we've always prided ourselves in Canada with uh, that, you know, safety net uh, for all of our citizens. And I think if, if we can um, do that, in a way that that you know really provides that little bridge to the other side uh, for consumers, then all businesses will benefit. I think the worst thing that can happen is that we find ourselves in um, a situation where people's disposable income is has been so so severely um, impacted that they're unable to do the kinds of things that keep a healthy economy going and that keep um, you know families in in good shape and so on and so forth. So for me, I think that needs to be a priority on the business side of things. I think it um, if we have logical business thinkers, we'll be able to see you know what types of um, support makes sense. And I think there's a lot of work that's been done that's in the right direction. Um, as I say, flexibility is key. And I think sometimes people there's unintended consequences to any program. And I think just staying open to listening to those and being flexible about how those uh, play out would be um, super important. I'd say also, I, I just want to m mention, you know, we talk about the federal government programs and the wage subsidies and those types of things. I thought the municipalities also did a very good job of smaller things, you know, whether that was expanding patios or allowing things, um, you know, lineups in a different way on the sidewalk or allowing people to put cones and, you know, sort of manage um, circulation in their restaurants and just a, a, a practical sort of saying, okay, well, you know, this we didn't expect this when we created our um, city regulations about patios, uh, that outdoor would become so important. So I think there's been a lot of little things mm -hmm. that have um, that have helped business as well. And I, I think that hopefully this will be a um, an opening where, you know, governments and, and people who are sort of charged with uh, creating safety and all those kinds of things kind of come together and say, right. hey, you yeah. know, this could this could be a good idea, even um, even without the pandemic, we might have we might have landed on something that really makes people happy. And why wouldn't we allow business? is to continue it. 
Sure. No, that makes total sense. I mean, in Toronto, I know that patio decision took a lot longer than operators wanted, but but definitely once they did it, the creativity behind that and what they allowed was was pretty amazing. Um, definitely. When you look at your franchisees, um, just as you're looking to the government to say, okay, how can we, you know, how can they better assist us through this difficult uh, time? What are you doing to help the franchisee um, deal with this pandemic? Because as we know, we just aren't really clear as to how long it will last. So I know some companies reduced their franchise fees. Some, you know, some uh, did other little initiatives. Uh, what are you doing at ANW to help that franchise community? Well, I'd say that initially we took those types of steps as we sort of stepped into the unknown. Um, ANW has been a strategically focused um, company for a lot of years, uh, over 40 years that we've used that same strategic recreation and renewal process. And um, our renewal process is really based on responding to changes in the world or within our four walls. And of course, it's hard to imagine a bigger set of changes. So uh, we got busy and recreated our strategy uh, through the summer and into the fall. And what we really did was um, identify strategic resources for the different situations of our restaurants. And we think that that will allow us to figure out the, the best way to support and um, recreate and reinvent, I think, some of those uh, businesses, uh, whether that was shopping centers, some of our urban restaurants that are in areas where the foot traffic has decreased, for example. Mm -hmm. And so we've um, established a clear strategic priority on restoring profitability uh, in a very positive way to um, the different circumstances that our operators find themselves in and, and ways to help build growth in new areas, the type of areas that you mentioned earlier, uh, in a more systematic way. So we've taken sort of the what we, what we know of the environment and applied it uh, strategically and then resourced it accordingly from an A&W perspective. Um, because I think the biggest things that we can do are the things that franchisees can't do for themselves. And so in the early stages, it was just getting PPE, you know, um, when it wasn't available. Uh, today, it's it's something different. So I think there's sort of been an evolution there and we need to keep our ears and eyes open as to what's the next big thing that we can do uh, right. that can really help support the entire system. So it was more resource-based as opposed to uh, maybe fee-based. Uh, fee yeah, I mean, we did some deferrals and payment changes and we sort of held pricing on things. We, we did a bunch of those things early mm -hmm. on, but that's, you know, you can't save your way to success. And I think the right. strategic approach is um, is what will bring us uh, sort of an, an ability to get through the uh, through the tunnel to the other side, to the light as we um, as, as we work together. And I'd say also that um, communication, you know, has been a super important part. Uh, whether that was wading through the complexities of some of these programs together, whether that was um, sort of getting ideas and sharing ideas from one another, whether that was just simple operational support for, you know, dealing with new situations. I think all of those things have been pretty critical and that required a lot of listening because we, you know, we won't know until we hit those um, circumstances and we won't sure. know until we hear from our operators. So I think there's that. We, you know, we established an employee assistance fund at the early days that helped um, uh, meet the immediate needs because mm -hmm. until government programs kind of kicked in, we started right. to work with franchisees to have a, a fund that helps support. So I think we've done a number of things, but I'd say that our, our um, approach has migrated from sort of instant uh, help with liquidity and those types of things and moved on to sort of how do we what's the longer game here and how do mm -hmm. we um, apply ourselves strategically as, as well as, you know, through our climate, through our relationships, how do we keep listening to each other? How do we keep getting feedback and improving? And um, that's been a critical part of, of how we've been able to work together. It must also be so challenging for you because of the complexity and size of this country with different regional needs and different regional protocols too, you know, with BC having, um, you know, I think an, an easier time through some of it in terms of relaxed restrictions, whereas Ontario has had a bit of a tougher time. How do you as a company deal with all those regional differences? Um, because you have to really almost react um, on a daily basis in a different way across the country. Um, well, we certainly have been responding on a daily basis to changes and to differences. Uh, you know, again, we're fortunate in that we have such a strong franchisee community. 
but we have business managers in, you know, multiple business managers in every single province and, and region across the country who can give us firsthand information from where they live uh, and as well, you know, be able to be a sort of a rallying point for the operators in their business unit so that people can hear from one another. The experienced operators who've been around for 25 plus years um, can be on the same conversation as an operator who opened their restaurant four weeks ago, you know, so I think that uh, collaboration has been essential as well. So putting on, I guess, um, maybe, or, or taking a look at a crystal ball to, to some degree, because I know it's hard to predict anything, but do you think the franchise, uh, the way franchising is done will have to change long-term because of these changes? Or do you think it's just a matter of dealing with the changes for the time involved and then moving back to, to how it used to be? Do you see structural changes, I guess, is what I'm asking on the franchise landscape? I actually see um, this as, an, as a set of circumstances that really, for me, brought into clear focus the strength of the franchise system and the potential and the opportunity. I think, if anything, um, franchising as a, as a way of doing business will come out of this as strong or even stronger than before. Um, because again, you know, we, we forget um, how much of uh, of what happens is is local and mm -hmm. you know this there's lots of conversation about supporting local business i think again you know our franchisees emerged as local business people people hadn't thought about it that way before but um, suddenly they were in restaurants and seeing owners and talking and you know sharing experiences and you know there was the, the, the catchphrase of we're all in this together and you know are we in this, the same ship or different ships and so on but i, I think the reality is that um everyone was facing a bunch of challenges, some of them exactly the same, some of them very different. Uh, but I think there was an appreciation and empathy for what uh, one another was going through. Mm -hmm. And I really saw that happening. And as I say, I, I have so much um, respect for how the operators in our in our system just were able to respond and do the right thing and be generous. You know, there's a generosity. We, we, we saw that um, of course, it's always been there, but it really came to the forefront when you start to deal with uh, with crisis, because mm -hmm. sometimes that can cause people to turn inward. I think in the case of our um, our franchise community, it caused people to, to have more empathy and turn outward and be able to support things, see things and recognize the importance that each of us plays sort of in the whole economic ecosystem, but certainly within our business. All right. And that's uh, suppliers too, Rosanna. Well, I think yes. you shouldn't forget the supplier community, the guys who had to, you know, imagine having a delivery system where, you know, you had routes that have been established over years and years and suddenly you had closures and temporary closures and opening hour changes and restrictions about travel, you know, all of those things. And so it, I think it just brought into clear focus how important each of the partners is to this to, to this world, but also just to each of our um, businesses and enterprises. So I think that's something that will last. I think that once you've recognized it, suddenly you start seeing it everywhere and you start realizing it and um, you start being more and more grateful for all of the pieces that help us uh, succeed together. Yeah, I think this pandemic really put into clear focus the importance of every, every person and every part of the business. Um, we talked earlier about curbside pickup and some of, you know, some of what you've done. Obviously, on-premise dining has changed somewhat with these restrictions. I mean, right now in Ontario, we're on a, in a lockdown, so people can't go into the restaurant at all. Um, and every part of the country is different. But um, what does that mean for you in terms of um, uh, delivery and third-party delivery um, systems? Have you been able to to use a lot of delivery companies, whether it's Uber or Skip the Dishes, is a lot of your business generated through that delivery component or is it mostly through pickup? And how do you see um, the delivery system changing further um, as we get through this pandemic? Well, a couple of things. We had already um, ha enjoyed partnerships with a number of third-party uh, delivery platforms prior to the pandemic. I think it would have been much harder had we not had those relationships and those um, systems in place, You know, training and all those kinds of things restaurants so in a lot of ways although we did have some operators who had previously not um, been using third party just because it wasn't a, a big opportunity for their business uh, right. join largely we were already in that we did see the number of orders of course and the type of orders and the size of orders uh, grow uh, particularly in, in the um, early part of the pandemic and then more so again as the weather has changed and that's yes. made um, getting out of your house and going for pickup maybe a little bit less desirable I think the magic in 
all of this. Thank first of all, thank goodness that you know they they exist. I think for many businesses, it was a life saving um, kind of opportunity or ability to at least keep their staff employed and so on. Right. Uh, in our in the case of our restaurants, um, of course we we. We, we do a lot more in terms of pickup and drive through and so on than we would in terms of uh, third party delivery. That, that's why I was pointing to the mobile app because I think the mobile app is really just a, if you picture it as a doorway and then right. from that doorway, uh, you can choose a lot of different ways to, to get your food. And I think that will be, I think it's the same people. I don't think there's, uh, you know, separate people that are delivery people and separate people that are right. drive-through people and separate people that eat in. Makes I think um, everyone to some degree or another uses all of the channels. Uh, the one thing I would say is that uh, many people who never thought about uh, delivery, home delivery for, for, for food, particularly um, different types of food, they might have had, you know, their regular Friday night pizza or something, but um, they discovered delivery. You know, they discovered the idea of maybe having a, even a fine dining meal at home or, and sort of the enjoyment of that. It's a different, it's a different setup. But um, so I think there will be a piece of that that will again remain and mm -hmm. just be another dimension to what um, people can, can, can do. So I, th I think there will be some, some potential there. And I think those things might also expand. There'll be different ways to optimize and get more effective and more efficient to make sure that it's um, a success, you know, for the people that are delivering as well. I think you've, the couriers and all of that, every, that everyone in that um, right. environment is, uh, is successful. Do the high commission rates worry you? I mean, I know there's been caps in various uh, regions of the country, Ontario, um, had their commission rates on these third parties capped a, a few weeks ago. And I know in different jurisdictions in the US that's happened as well. Um, do they worry you as an operator, the, the high rates? I think, I mean, anytime there's a cost and you and if there's ways to get it better, I think it's got to be a win-win though. I think it's got to be um, all, all of the, everyone has to be able to benefit to be able to make it sustainable. So I think this is a, a brand new thing for Canada. I mean, we're talking about delivery platforms that didn't even exist three or four years ago. And now suddenly there's a lot of pressure, you know, in terms of um, amount and type and complexity and all of those kinds of things. And guests' expectations and familiarity with how to order. And, you know, there's just a, a bunch of change that everyone's dealing with. I think as the um, market starts to kind of restore its um, stability, we'll, you know, again, if something's too expensive, it's not going to survive. So we can't sell burgers for $25. No. Um, that doesn't work. And so I, th I think that, you know, the, the sort of the market forces will help shape some of this. And, you um, it's just another it's just another way of uh, getting of, of getting great food you know when you're on a trip when you're a tourist you don't know where to go you know highway signs play a big role in how you choose your restaurant right because you don't know what's going on um, highway signs might not be how you choose a restaurant in your own neighborhood because you know exactly where to go and I think delivery is just another opening for people to um, to try something new or to get something when they're really tired and they just don't want to leave their home especially in the winter. <laughs> yeah. You don't have to worry about that so much in Vancouver, but it's an issue here. Um, Susan, when I think of A&W, the company's always done a really great job on the marketing front. You know, your commercials and your ads have always been very creative. How has um, your marketing changed to reflect what's going on in the marketplace? Because obviously this is a different world now. And how are you conveying that message that, you know, it's a safe industry and that they should be, you know, still continuing to patronize your company. What, what's changed on that front? Um, well, you know, marketing is is a form of communication and communication is a form of conversation, whether that's um, from a business broadcasting to, to, a, to people that are interested, whether that's one-on-one. Um, -on -one. And so I think the way that we think about um, our campaigns is, you know, how do we be part of what's going on very early on? You know, we took some of our, um, our, our money that we normally would have spent on a different kind of marketing to just thank essential workers, for example, because we felt like that was the right thing to do at that moment. Um, mm -hmm. We've tried to anticipate and sort of connect with and sort of almost be the guest and figure out what would we want to hear from from um, someone and what might interest us and what might give us that little moment of happiness or a little break in our day. Um, and so we've tried to just adjust the tone and the type of conversation and the type of um, offerings that we're doing to match what we 
feel is going on in the communities. And, you know, that's that's not an easy job, but um, I think it is something that over time we've been uh, successful with. And I think the other piece of it is that, you know, you don't build trust through uh, that's what you say. Um, you build trust through what you do. Mm-hmm. And um, I think the history that A&W has had of just really being as transparent and uh, focused and really trying to um, be leaders in our own way has really helped us build that um, that trust and, and that openness to feedback. You know, we can only change because of what we know and we can only learn what we know because uh, of what people tell us. And so I think that's just been a, a, as valuable a piece as what we've been able to say is what we've been able to learn and incorporate into our into our actions. And again, I think our actions and anyone's actions are what really counts when it comes to confidence and trust. So over the last year, as we've suffered through this pandemic, we've heard a lot about how a crisis actually can sometimes be a good opportunity as well for different things to change and for innovation to happen. How do you think this crisis um, has helped the industry perhaps innovate? And and moving forward, uh, as we still continue to deal with this, what kind of additional innovation do you see happening either in your company or in the industry as a whole? Um, I think it's brought to the forefront, you know, not that technology was taking a back seat, but I think um, in a lot of cases, you know, human beings and human nature is that you get into a routine and you stick with your routine and you keep expanding from where you are. I think the um, pandemic sort of launched many business people into a complete different reality where different things were possible and different things worked. And so I think that's opened everyone's eyes to the potential of, um, things like, you know, just how, how do people choose, you know, and where, where do we sort of, where do we meet? And I talked about highway signs, you know, those are only good if you're on the highway. Well, you know, there's an information highway and how do we, how do we be part of that? And um, not just as an advertising or a media medium, but how do we genuinely embrace sort of this new um, facet of human life. And I think, you know, you learn about like, what are people doing that are playing video games and how, you know, how does, how does their day go? And um, I think for a lot of us, the picture was sort of maybe a bit of an old fashioned picture of people working nine to five and leaving home in the morning. And mm-hmm. I think the the pandemic has opened our eyes to the very different ways that people are living their lives. And then thinking about how do our businesses really support that and how do we change uh, the way that society is changing? I think that this spike in um, sort of the awareness of the use of and embracing of technology uh, is something that will continue into the future and that will be a part of what we do. And then I think the, on the other side of it, um, there's the appreciation for the simple things, you know, um, when you think about what's all the things that are out there and masks and plastic and all of that, um, you know, the desire for something simple, something delicious, um, something where you kind of have confidence. Um, our ingredients, I think, have, are, you know, powered us forward in a lot of ways because of the relevance to people's lives and thinking about, yeah, I, I, that's what I would do at home. I want to do, I want to get something just like that from a restaurant. I think that's become even more valuable as people have been thrust into an area of unfamiliarity, the familiarity of something that's something you can love, like a little burger, <laughs> um, has, uh, has, I think, gained in importance. And I think people, just the, the pleasures that they've had to give up, remind them of just how, how important those little moments are in their day. So I think there's two things. It's kind of the, the accelerated new world and um, maybe the greater appreciation and potential for that um, simple world of, you know, the little the little pleasure you get in a complicated mm-hmm. world from just sitting down and enjoying a meal. Um, I've had some of our guests say, you know what, everything in my life is different today than it was, you know, at the time three weeks ago. Um, but when I eat my burger, I still feel the same way. So, you know, I think that's that, 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 that those kinds of things will last. The little joys. The little joys, exactly. So, um, do you feel that uh, on the operational side, do you feel that um, all the protocols that have been put in place um, will they continue? Do, do you expect that they will continue even when COVID-19 is but a memory? Or do you think that uh, we'll return to more of our usual standards uh, once this is over? What's your take on that? 
Well, first I'll say that I, I'm extremely proud of the protocols that we already had in place. So we actually changed, you know, we re re reviewed things and we, of course, did things like the physical distancing between tables and those types of um, changes. But uh, I think it really brought to the forefront just how successful and how um, impactful and how safe uh, not only AW, but the industry as a whole is a place where you can really have confidence because um, we deal with, you know, food safety every single day. And so that was sort of a natural extension. I think that um, the desire to come together is going to say that I don't think we'll see six feet distance um, forever. I think those pieces, um, you know, communal table was our number one place where people sat first in our restaurants. And today, of course, uh, we've had to close those down. I think those things will come back. But, you know, I think that um, people's awareness of, uh, you know, hand washing and those, I think those things will last and remain and people have gained good new habits. Mm -hmm. um, our guests, we, some of our restaurants have, you know, sinks in the dining room. Those are popular. We've put lots of sinks in here in our in our home office. And I think it's just a greater awareness of, um, you know, how, how each little piece in the in the safety cog uh, works and how much personal responsibility is important. So I think some of those habits will remain. Do you um, perhaps see the, the trend to smaller footprints for a lot of QSR units um, with, you know, in-premise dining being a little bit more problematic these days? Some, some companies have decided to go a different route and be smaller or, or more um, amenable in different ways. What's your, what's your take on that? Well, I think, again, we'll be guided by what um, how our guests are living. And I think, you know, all of the food service industry is based on, um, on, on how what people do. So, you know, if you have a little coffee shop at the corner of a busy train station, um, you, you know, you're, you're, they're, they're, everything you do is in focus of people that are in a real rush in the morning, uh, grabbing a coffee on the way to the train. Um, if suddenly, I don't know, the trains only became every hour, um, people might want to sit down and enjoy a cup of coffee in your restaurant while they waited for their train. So, uh, you know, that's not a, a great example, but it's the kind of thing where I think as we understand where will people work? Um, will they be more working from home? Exactly. Um, how, how will university students um, get their courses? Are they going to be more online? And so all of the things that impact where people live and especially how they live their lives, I think, will impact the kinds of um, restaurants. And that's always been the case. I mean, if you looked through AW's history or any restaurants um, that has a long history, you'd see, you know, drive-ins were a thing and shopping center food courts were a thing and, um, you know, bigger dining rooms, smaller dining rooms, table service, self-service, uh, all those evolutions happened, not because companies decided to change, but because guests decided to, um, or decided to, or chose uh, to, um, to, to live their lives a little bit differently. And I think our job is just to, we're a piece of the puzzle. And so when you want to put your piece of the puzzle, you got to look at what's, what's, what's open, what's needed, what's, um, what space is there. And then you got to fit yourself into um, what people are looking for. It's a great point. Um, and when we look at the employee part of this equation, I mean, this, this, pandemic has been challenging for so many people and it's created a lot more um, stress and anxiety in everybody's life. How have you dealt with that component of the equation um, with your employees who are obviously so important to everything that you do? How have you had to maybe take care of them in a different way through this pandemic? Um, well, they've been very, very central. The teams at the restaurants are the critical, uh, the, the most critical part of how we're able to be in business. And so really, we actually chose very deliberately to say that um, in order to build confidence among guests, the, the very first and most important thing is to have our teams be super confident. And so uh, we've um, initiated uh, different ways of keeping track of how they're feeling, getting feedback directly from the staff about things that they're concerned about or that they want to talk about, um, being able to respond really professionally and um, actively. And I think flexibility, the flexibility that I was talking about when we talked about government action and everything else, that's got to be a business component as well because um, people will have different needs. And so university students who are online studying will probably need something a little bit different from university students living on campus and um, families with you know young children who may not be able to go to daycare are going to have a different need from those who are um, dropping their kids off and maybe getting a bite to eat on the way home. All of those kinds of things will uh, I think be a little bit um, disrupted and change and swirling around for a little while as things settle down and when they settle down I can almost guarantee they won't settle down in the same place and uh, I have every confidence that the food service industry and that our operators 
and our businesses will be able to respond to those changes in ways that um, will probably surprise us. Have you had to implement different, um, you know, employment assistance programs or, you know, we hear a lot about mental health these days. How are you dealing with those issues through the pandemic? Yeah, no, that was a very critical piece of, um, so we, we, we actually took some direct action both at our home office here in terms of the team that works for us corporately, as well as um, providing tools and support to operators for their teams, um, taking into account uh, some of the, the available options that are out there. You know, everything in the pandemic became so hard because of the lack of human contact. And if there was a time when, you know, a lot of people needed a hug, it was certainly this year. And it was the one thing that... Um, you couldn't do. You couldn't do, exactly. Um, but, you know, again, technology and online, I think there has been a lot of programs that have been quite successful. I think the, one of the biggest things is... Um, you know, eliminating the stigma around mental health. I think people need to feel very comfortable mm-hmm. uh, talking about their anxieties, talking about their need for some time away, um, not having that sort of feeling about uh, what, what, what will happen to me and how will I be perceived. And I think that the pandemic is, because so many have experienced these issues personally, I think it's, I, I talked about empathy. I think it's grown our empathy mm-hmm. and grown our exposure and grown um, our awareness that these issues are, absolutely real they're important and um, we each have a role in helping in in helping people navigate um, but also in supporting and helping people find uh, the right the right tools and resources we can't you know we're not the experts that can help them necessarily uh, but we can help guide and we can help support the um, the great uh, people who do so Susan, um, I know everybody's had to deal with the awful, um, you know, um, the awful act of having to lay people off. How many people were uh, laid off in your company? Um, well, at A&W, we were fortunate in that we were able to keep all of our talent in-house uh, from, a, from a corporate perspective. Obviously, restaurants that were impacted either by their sales volumes mm-hmm. or by closures completely, um, in many cases, had to uh, lay off staff. And we corporately had restaurants in our corporate um, market of Ottawa, where we unfortunately had to uh, lay off staff when the shopping center restaurants in particular. So we did our very best to move people around and so on. And, and because of the situation, we also had many people who voluntarily said, I'd like to take some time off because I've got young children at home and so on. So, you know, thank, thankfully, um, I think the impact for our teams was not as great as it could have been. Uh, but still, anytime you have to have that conversation, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. And um, I can only imagine for those who were impacted more than, than we were, um, how even more heartbreaking it would have been. But it was sort of a crushing day when we had to realize that these shopping center restaurants were not going to open very soon and we had to, um, to take action. So, yeah, it's been, uh, there's a lot of sadness and a lot of loss. For sure. Um, one of the things that I think, you know, obviously it's, it's it's tough to be a leader during these days too, because you have to make some of those tough decisions. But as a leader, have you had to change your style at all in terms of how you deal with almost anything on your plate these days? What's What's been the biggest challenge for you um, in dealing with this crisis from a leadership point of view? Well, certainly the biggest change has been, you know, NW has been a very high touch organization. I would have seen in person operators about twice a year, um, every year I would have seen our our teams in the field multiple times. I would have spent time with people on the road and visiting restaurants and all of those kinds of things. And that all kind of ground to a very abrupt heart, a halt, um, even at the office in terms of um, people working from home and those types of things. So in that sort of sort of goes okay yeah there's a lot of things that happen that you don't really necessarily intentionally do but they just happen because people are together and so we had to find um number one we had to identify what are those things that we can't do that in the same way that we used to how do we replace those and so on so that was that, that was um and still is actually quite um you know quite a different feeling and uh, in some ways, there's a lot of longing to get back to more more contact, more in person, um, all of those types of things. So that was the biggest, um, you know, sort of change in 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 the how, uh, in the change in the what. Um, you know, I, I reference sort of that the listening and and the contact and the communication, mm-hmm. and I think that was certainly something that we really, really. Um, focused on and increased, uh, whether that was with our internal team, whether that was with our um, 
franchisees, whether that was even, you know, using tools to be able to understand what um, our franchisees were hearing from their, their staff, that anything we could um, help with or share ideas about. Um, so I think that that was probably the key thing was just opening up plenty of time for listening, conversation, uh, planning, and, and being super open to um, quick decisions without a lot of data. Uh, you asked about a crystal ball, you know, no one had one. And so we were making a lot of decisions um, pretty quickly and unable to maybe see very far ahead of us. So as time has elapsed, we've started to be able to see a little bit further into the future. And certainly our strategy process has helped us, um, I think, take a systematic approach to what we see going forward and to help um, be the best partners we can be as well. So how do you think the next six months are going to shape up for for your company as we still go through, you know, getting people vaccinated and hopefully starting that process. What, what do you think the next six months look like for you? Um, I think it would be a mistake to think that things are going to resolve themselves over the next six months. Um, I think that we'll, we've, what, we're, what we see is what we get in a lot of ways. And, you know, I'm very hopeful that things will start to um, turn a corner and improve. Uh, but I think if we take the approach of let's wait and see and, you know, things might start to get better, um, we might lose those very things that have helped us get better as time goes on. So um, my message would be persevere. We've got to keep going here. We've got um, big responsibilities. I think we are models for, you know, many, many people. And I think if we just continue to do what's right uh, and continue to think about things as they are today and not sort of pin our hopes onto um, the future, then I think we'll get to that future much more quickly and much more successfully. So it's really tackling one day at a time, it sounds like, really, and not looking too far ahead, I guess, right? Yeah, I mean, although I'd say I think we do need to look far ahead. I think we need to look at the six months. But I think looking at the six months as, as, as though it were the last six months is probably not too far wrong. And again, it just, um, for me, it just really reinforces the, the, the positive changes that we've made in terms of dealing with a pandemic. We cannot give up on those. We need to, if anything, reinforce and amplify those efforts so that um, I think just there's a, you know, everyone's got a, everyone's fed up and everyone yeah, would love to, tired. yeah, would love to just say like, can we stop this? Um, I think it's the wrong, absolute wrong approach. I think we need to continue the, the good habits, all the work, all the investment that everyone's made at every level um, to pay off. We need to get to that next stage. And so until we see, you know, uh, the, the actual COVID in serious decline until the WHO tells us that um, things have changed globally. You know, it's a global, it's a global issue. And so even what we do in our communities, what we do in our provinces, what we do in our country um, is, is important, uh, but it's not sufficient. And so I think we need to wait until the world uh, is in a much better shape before we start to think about um, that rosy future that we all desire so much and long for. Definitely. I think everybody is very tired, as you say, and we're all anxious to get past this, but um, but very wise words and very well articulated. And thank you so much for, for sharing that. Um, and I know that, uh, you know, you have a lot on your plate and I don't want to keep you from your from your role. So thank you so much for taking time today to be with us and to share your insights and expertise. And uh, and hopefully things will get better soon. But I know it's going to be a little bit of a rocky road ahead. So. Um, so good luck. And uh, and again, thank you for taking time. Thanks, Rosanna. And thanks for your leadership in the industry. I mentioned associations and all of the groups that bring people together. Uh, that's been very important and very much appreciated. So I appreciate your uh, hard work and your dedication to um, continuing to help make this uh, industry strong. Well, thank you so much. And above all, stay safe. Same to you. Thank you. We appreciate you joining us for this episode of the Table Talk Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd love for you to rate and review our show. Also, make sure you never miss an episode by clicking the subscribe button. For additional resources related to today's episode, please visit our website, foodserviceandhospitality.com. Until next time.